good morning, good morning and welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop and I'm standing in for Pam Vardy who's asked me to pass on a very important message. Sons of the West, red, white and blue. Now I won't subject you to the rest but I'm sure Pam is still singing it. Given it's an hour earlier than usual, I'm even more happy than usual to see you three guys in here. First of all, I'd like to um, welcome Master Plantsman Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants. Good morning. And at the budget price of two for one, native flora gurus Gwen and Roger Elliott. Good morning, everyone. Hi, everyone. Hi. Well, and Pretty exciting, isn't it? Well, I suppose if you're a football fan, it, fiend, it probably is. And uh, Look, I'm not a football person, but I guess it's, it's their turn. Oh, Apart look. from anything else, it's their turn. Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, most of Melbourne was um, was on the bandwagon yesterday. Yes, they really. were. Mm. Yeah. I know. We, we invited some friends around yesterday to watch it. And one Alex, who rings in here now and again, he had to call for a bucket at the end for, for all his tears. Oh, dear. Tears of joy. Yeah. Oh, uh, that, yes. That's pretty exciting, though. It does say something about us Victorians, about how emotional we can get about football, doesn't it? But there you go. But I think it's been a good community thing. Oh, people have said, uh, if you're listening to radio and that yesterday and the day before, people walk around um, Melbourne and if they're wearing a blue and um, red scarf or something. With a bit of white, but, I think, in it too. With a bit of white, if you like, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, people they don't know would say, go doggies or good yeah. on you or hope you win and yeah. people would talk to each other. And I think this is, you know, it's been a good community building thing oh, that, for Melbourne, I think. That's right. I was down at um, uh, Royal Botanic Gardens Cranbourne on Thursday with a group from Williamstown Botanic Gardens. Yeah. And they said it's just been amazing lift in the spirits of the western suburbs. Williamstown's all red, white and blue and the whole, you know, a lot of the other suburbs are too and, and they just thought it was fantastic that, you know, this had all happened yeah. for Footscray or it used to be Footscray, Western Bulldogs. So, yeah, they, they, were, they were happy. And, and so did you guys watch the game? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah we did. No, no well, I was at work yeah. yesterday yeah. anyway. I mean, I flicked the radio on periodically just to hear what was going on just yeah. so that I wouldn't look like a complete dill when it was all over. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was busy. I mean, I'm going away in a few days' time, so I haven't got time to sit around and watch mm. football. Yeah. I've got plants to pot and weeds to pull and, you know plants to deal with and customers and although I didn't get many customers yesterday <laughs> afternoon I have to say yeah. it was very enough, quiet yes. around the nursery from yeah. around about sort of two in the afternoon <laughs> through to about five it was sort of dead yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think they had about 10,000 at um, the Oval didn't they yeah, yeah that's right and we couldn't Oval, get yeah. into the MCG yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah pretty exciting well I suppose we should uh, get on to a few community announcements because hmm. we do have a lot to get yeah. through which um, it's spring it is spring that's <laughs> right so I'd say get a couple of pens at the ready and we will start making our way through them so today uh, Villa Elba is um, open uh, that's historic house and the RJ Hamer Heritage Garden. Um, their uh, monthly open day, and that is at 44 Walmer Street in Kew. Um, Wisteria is in bloom on the pergola, so that would be a beautiful sight, I'd Ooh, imagine. Yes, I'd imagine. And so. a nice yeah. smell too. And a beautiful smell, yes. Mm. Um, so they're open from 1 till 4. Admission is $10, concession is $8, and children are free, and afternoon tea is available with a $3 donation. That's Villa Elba. Uh, the next meeting of the Australian Plant Society Kilo Plains Group 
will be their annual spring plant table at a new venue. It's the XRSL Hall, 54 Rally Street, Maribyrnong, uh, Melways, if people still use Melways, Map 28. I do. Yeah, I do. Mm. Too. Yes. <laughs> Come on, guys, get with it. Oh, goodness me. Oh, no, GPSs take up the wrong way oh, often. They, they, yeah. they do, don't they? Sometimes oh, I, I put it on even when I know where I'm going, and I'm just like, come on, I no. do not turn left here, I turn right here. Yes. Yeah, crazy. Um, okay, so the Australian Plant Society Kilo Plains Group is on Friday, October 6th at 7.45pm. And the new venue is apparently convenient to public transport. Tram routes 57 and 82 both run past the hall and it's at stop 43. If you need more information, you can contact Roz on 9376 Okay, the Rushall Garden Open Day is on Saturday 8 of October from 1 to 4 p.m. Come and experience community gardening, learn the joys of growing and sharing fresh produce, pick up some gardening tips and take home some pickles or preserves. There are garden tours, plant and seedling sale, sausage sausage sizzle, hard to say an hour earlier on a Sunday, uh, homegrown produce and all, and all sorts of things, raffles and whatnot. Um, Rushall Garden is located in the Thomas Kidney Reserve on Rushall Crescent, North Fitzroy. It's behind the grassy knoll at the end of Neen Street and Melways Map 30D11. Okay, we've got another Australian Plant Society. This time the South Gippsland Branch has got their native flower show on October 15th and 16th. That's at the club rooms of the Leangatha Recreation Ground from 10am to 4pm. And if you need more information, you can call Coral on 5664 triple two one that's always a very good one actually they've got plant sales they've got book sales and it's always a, a major native plant show two weekends away i guess it must be something like that now 15th and 16th mm. of october but um you've got a phone number there haven't you yeah and, um, yeah it's native flower show at um, south Gippsland. and there's yeah. some good growers in that area too grow mm. good quality plants not Soft stuff. <laughs> yeah. Soft stuff. Well, well and truly hardened, you know, it's good, good stock. Yeah, great. Mm. Um, okay, uh, there's a couple from Friends of Burnley Gardens. Um, I'm reading out one, um, Jeannie Dunn. Jeannie's passion is breeding Australian orchids. I actually uh, saw Jeannie give a talk once and um, it was quite fascinating. Doc Rillias and all sorts of exciting things. Um, Jeannie's been breeding... Australian orchids for many years. She's meticulous, hybridising and keeping records. Now her orchid flowers are increasing in size and developing colours as she breeds new life into them. So that's on Wednesday the 12th of October at uh, University of Melbourne Burnley Campus, 500 Yarra Boulevard in Richmond. 7 o'clock for drinks and nibbles and 7.30 for the talk. $5 for members, $15 for visitors. For more information, you can either email friends.burnley at gmail.com or telephone 9035-6815. I've got another one for Burnley, which has got the same contact phone number Mm -hmm. and email. So hopefully everybody's got their pens uh, and paper beside the the phone beside the bed, wherever you are at the moment, maybe at the brekkie table, but it is daylight saving, is folks, so we're not on yet. at 6.30, <laughs> we are. It is now 
8.30ish, bit after, so you need to adjust your clocks. But this is again Burnley, and it's next Saturday, which will be the 8th of October, 10am to 1pm, uh, and it's a workshop, Terrariums with Style, being presented by Sasha Andrusiak. Now, it's a $65 cost for members or 85 for non-members. That includes a terrarium and plants and morning tea. So there you go. That looks like good value. Um, down at Burnley College again, and once again, the phone number, if you'd like further information, 9035 6815 or friends.burnley at gmail.com. Uh, and it says bring clean, sharp and wear closed shoes. Closed shoes is, is actually a requirement for any volunteers in gardens and everything you can't go along and volunteer at a, a garden or community nursery or anything in thongs you know you do it makes total to, sense yeah if, particularly if you've got much clean, more stylish as well Absolutely. clean hard, sharp <laughs> secateurs you don't want to drop your clean sharp secateurs on your bare feet no okay the other one i've got in front of me actually starts today now it goes through for most of October, but it's the Festival of Gardens, which is called Gardivalia. Um, I'll spell that out because you might want to check it out on Mr. Google. G A R D I V A L I A. Now it's the tenth year of this festival, which is in West Gippsland, uh, and there is just so much happening. The opening is today at two p.m. Uh, down at um, Lilico Glass Studio. But uh, there are 31 gardens and places that are going to be open during the month of October. It uh, goes right through until Sunday the 23rd. There's also workshops. Um, organic veggie gardening and compost making is one of them. Uh, there's bonsai, there's floral art, there's um, oh, just so much hydroponics, bush tucker garden. Uh, so... It's a bit late now. You can pick up these. Uh, the booklet is how many pages? It's about a 30-page booklet. Um, a very big, tiny booklet, isn't that silly? <laughs> tiny format, but lots Packed. of pages to yeah. it with just so much happening. And as I mentioned, it's been going for 10 years, so it's well established. Uh, but you can pick this up in all sort the booklet in all sorts of libraries and public places in the West Gippsland Gippsland area. But if not, just go to www.gardivalia.com.au. Um, plenty to keep you going right through the month of October. Also, um, one I didn't mention, Meryl Johnson. Um, and I think we did an interview about um, Gardevalia last Sunday morning on the Garden Show, but Merrill's place is part of that too. So that's Wonderful. fantastic. Mm. Another thing happening down that part of the world is the Gippsland Garden and Home Expo at Lardner Park. Now, I don't know how long this has been going. It must be 20 years, closely. Mm. It's and a it's good a, event down there. Yeah, it's a really great event, mm. and there's a whole range of things. There's over 150 different displays there, and so there's uh, orchids, and there's 40 nurseries going to be there. This is next weekend, October the 8th and 9th. So um, there is a cost, adults $10.00. Kids are free, um, and there's a lot of other aspects to gardening as far as, you know, water tanks, bars, uh, garden features, tools, and uh, so there's a, a lot. Vasily will be there, and uh, so plenty of parking. If you want further information, go to the 
www.druinlionsclub.org.au. But it's not only for people down that part of the world. It's a good day trip and you'll spend a whole day wandering around. So that's the Gippsland Garden and Home Expo. Um, Victorian Iris Society, October the 11th, are having their early show and this is being held at the Jean McKendry Neighbourhood Centre, 91 to 111 Melrose Street, North Melbourne. Now, it's interesting, it's an evening show, 8pm. So October the 11th, what oh. day is that? That must be a Tuesday, maybe. Um, so the cost is free. If you want further information, you can contact S. Nisbet on 0412 725. So that's the Victorian Iris Society early show, October the 11th. And there's been lots of orchid shows on. There's another one happening in Ballarat. And this is their annual orchid show on October the 14th to the 16th. So the the venue is the Primary Industries Training Centre in Wendaree. And it's open from Friday 1 to 5pm, Saturday 10 to 4pm, Sunday 10 to 3pm. Costs $3. And so orchids of all shapes and sizes by members of the club. And there's also sales available and of orchids too. So that's on October 14th to 16th. And you can go and have a look at the Archibald Prize at the same time. Uh, I think that opens on the 14th. Um, Ballarat Annual Orchid Show. Fantastic. Well, I might as well throw, throw a few of mine into the mix as well uh, that I've got in front of me. Um, an event always worthwhile um, going along to see is the Art of Botanic Illustration uh, at Domain House in Dallas Brooks Drive, just near the Herbarium. Uh, it's run by the Friends of the Botanic Gardens. It's a fundraiser for them. It's a gold coin donation to go and have a look. All the artwork is for sale and it's uh, a curated um, exhibition, so you know all the works have to be checked out and what have you and selected and so therefore it's of a very very high standard um it's from the 15th to the 30th of october and uh, they normally have somebody in the place being an artist in residence every day so you can go along and see somebody actually producing a work of botanic art uh, you won't see one finished <laughs> they're very slow but it's beautiful work um, and um, yes and it's just beautiful paintings that you can have a look at of all different types of plants uh, and they are for sale and a percentage of the sales go back to the friends of the botanic gardens in melbourne so if you do buy a purchase a, a work of art you'll have something to hang on your wall and the, and the botanic gardens benefits from it so it's a win-win situation so go along and have a look at that from the 15th to the 30th um i'm just trying to think oh daily from 10 to 4 p.m and remember it's in domain house which is just down dallas brooks drive directly from the front door of the herbarium just head straight downhill very Uh, comfortable venue it is it's a lovely spot and uh so it's certainly worthwhile and it's right next to the botanic garden so you can go and have a look at uh the botanic garden then perhaps go for a walk in the gardens as well yep you know why not indeed sounds Uh, good now, anybody who's into prickly and succulent things, uh, the Succulent and Cacti Show, uh, including a huge plant sale, is on at, um, guess what, the Miller, uh, in the corner of Miller Crescent and Stevenson's Road, the Mount Waverley Community Centre. And that's on Saturday the 22nd and Sunday the 23rd uh, of October from 10am to 5pm. And it's presented by the Cactus and Succulent Society of Australia. 
Uh, entry is $7. Children under 15 are free. Um, so if you're interested in cacti and succulent, that's got to be a place to go and have a look at them. There'll be some amazing plants there, I'm sure. And they are such popular plants these days. People oh, just absolutely. love yep. their succulents and cacti and things. Probably all due to a killer Tilla Capitani, but there you go. Um, so um, I definitely recommend that. You'll be astounded and amazed at some of the plant material people are growing. And something for a little bit further ahead, but you do need to book, uh, I'm going to be doing an ancient tree walk uh, at a property up at Macedon called Ardhilly. Um, it was originally selected by William McGregor, who was one of the uh, first directors of um, BHP, and he set up his Scottish manor, uh, as you do, on the north side of Mount Macedon, and planted it up with uh, amazing trees, mainly of European origin, and so there's a whole pile of centenarians sitting up there that want to be visited. Um, huge trees with a massive, massive great trunks on them, uh, Oregons, tulip trees, you name it, they're there. Uh, and we're doing a morning walk on November the 10th, and that's a Thursday uh, at 10.30 a.m. And so I'll be taking people around the garden, explaining the history of the garden, uh, IDing some of the trees for people. Uh, there are some virtually unique trees growing in the garden up there that I don't know of other specimens uh, around. Um, and um, it includes a morning tea. It's $30 um, for the morning. And if you want to book, you have to uh, do it online. And I'm going to spell out the information here because it's a little complicated because Ardhilly is not spelt how it uh, sounds. Uh, so it's info at Ardhilly, which is A-R-D-C-H-O-I-L-L-E, garden, all one word, so Ardhilly garden, one word, dot com, dot au. Um, so um, that should be a great fun morning. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm hoping we're going to have one. I know it's getting later in the season, but it'd be lovely if we have one of those misty Mount Macedon mornings. Because mm-hmm. to wander around that garden with these trees just uh, sort of disappearing up into the mist above you is really eerie beautiful. and beautiful. And we should have some, I don't know, some picnic at hanging rock type pan pipe music <laughs> playing in the background for that morning. Hopefully no one disappears into the distance. Yeah, well, return. don't wear crinolines. I'm warning you. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll clash with me. Um, and you'll be a bit chilly too. And you will be a bit chilly. And I might add, if it's a sunny morning, you actually look out from Ardhilly straight over Hanging Rock. You, it's got one of the best views of Hanging Rock you can imagine. So it looks straight out from the garden over to Hanging Rock. So it's a wonderful property. Beautiful. Well, one more I just want to mention is um, a garden down at Stall. And this is the property of Greg and Glenda Lewin. And uh, they're opening their absolutely stunning garden. I've been there myself and that will be next Sunday, so October 9th, and to help raise money for their um, Wildlife Art Museum of Australia project, which they're um, trying to get up and running down that way. Mm, I heard um, you're going to be involved, I <laughs> I am actually, yes. Oh, I yes, well, you, yes, yeah. yes, you better mention your yeah. um, involvement. Well, I'm, just, I'm giving a talk. Um, I've got a, a talk that I give at libraries and whatnot just called Enliven Your Garden with Native Plants. And um, so I'll be speaking down there. We were hoping Angus might make it as well, but um, that's not to be. But it is a gorgeous garden, mm. uh, really a contemporary house. And um, what they've done on such um, an incredible, you know, wild and wind-blown paddock is quite astonishing. A a stack of um, West Australian plants um, as well as some indigenous species. So, um, Oh, better give the address, I suppose. Well, it'd help. Um, Yeah, that would help. Um, So uh, the open day, it's at uh, 207 Pomonal Road in Stall, 
from 11 to 4, adults uh, $10 and children free. And if you need more information, uh, you can call Glenda on 0409 423 827. And um, yeah, so the, the WAMA project uh, aims to celebrate the relationship between art, science and nature. So um, it's um, definitely a worthwhile um, venture that they're trying to get up and going. So if you can support that, that would be lovely. Mm. I imagine it'll be well signposted because mm. their driveway is just a little tricky you know, to get you don't see this great big huge driveway. No, so it's quite in fact, narrow. I drove past it twice. Yeah, yes, we did once. Yeah, so for them to come to the bottom and wave at me. So yeah, <laughs> but I, I know they have flags and stuff they put up. So yeah, but even if people write down that phone number, and if you're sort of going there and you think, oh. Where am I now? Mm. Uh, you could ring up and say, look, I'm at the corner of such and such a street. Yes. Yeah. Where do I go from in. here? Yeah, turn around, come back two kilometres. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> now, Stephen, you are even more dressed up than you usually are today. And yes. you've told me... I'm wearing my you, red jacket. Yes, your red jacket, handkerchief, yeah. and it's not for us. No. Where no. are you going? Well, What's you know, you don't normally have to dress up too much for radio, funnily enough. Uh, although, having said that, some radio stations these days seem to want to Facebook and tweet everything they do. So you can end up actually being seen by people when you're on radio. Um, no, this morning I'm going, when I leave the station here, I'm going out to the Northcote Nursery on Victoria Road in Northcote. Um, I'm going to be out there from 10 till 12. Uh, my main purpose for being out there is as... Uh, the spokesperson for the Ewood product, the um, um, garden edging product that's made out of e-waste, which is a fantastic and, and innovative product that I'm very, very in favour of. So I'm going to be out there talking about Ewood, but also I'll be talking about rare and interesting plants this morning. I've got a van load of bits and pieces I'm going to take out, including a couple of the plants we may get around to talking about this morning. So if you want to come out and see some unusual plants that have come from my nursery because you can't get up to my nursery, maybe you can visit me in Northcote. And I would really like to see some 3CR listeners there just to prove that we are listened to. So <laughs> keep that in mind. Uh, uh, I'll be the one wearing the, well, it's actually a watermelon-coloured jacket, uh, so you won't have any trouble recognising me. And you don't they, think there'll be others wearing that. No, no, and, and they won't be wearing yes. the bright red shoes <laughs> either. Um, so um, you'll find me. It'll be easy enough. And um, so the ladies out in Northcote Nursery are looking forward to this morning. It should be great fun, so I hope people will come out and, and visit me and say hi and have a look around at the nursery obviously have a look at the ewood product because that's why i'm going to be out there um and uh, i think peter barker the um sales rep for ewood will be with me this morning and he can explain the product better than i can i think yeah. peter was in last week he was yes yeah. he came in and did an interview with pam last week mm. and um He's a fun guy, so... Well, actually, he's not a fun guy. He's actually a human being. Um, but uh, nonetheless, uh, we'll have a good time out there this morning. And uh, so please, please, please come out and visit uh, Northcote Nursery this morning from 10 till 12. I'll be there. Now, they've got raised garden beds as well, don't yeah, they? No, yeah, it's, not, it's not only the garden beds. Yeah, they do. You, well, you can get a kit that you can put together of e-wood that makes raised beds. And yep. in fact, at some stage, I've got to write an article on wicking beds for them because uh, one of their clients has made a wicking bed out of would um so we're going to put that up on the website at some stage or another um and it's one of those products that's very adaptable you can use it in lots of different ways so you can make compost bins out of it you could um, do raised garden beds at any height you want and virtually any size because the kits come in sort of 
defined lengths and you've got joiners as well so you can join them together uh, I've got an e-wood bed up at the nursery to show people what you can do that must be two meters wide by about five meters long uh, and two e-wood planks high Um, and it all just screws together with a phillips head screwdriver uh, so you don't even need an allen key Um, so it must be easier than ikea Um, and yeah it's a good product and it's uh, actually it might sound a bit naff but i actually am particularly fond of the product because it actually looks good you know, some people, you know, when you recycle things and reuse things, they sometimes look like they're recycled and reused. Um, and um, this particular product looks very smart. So, you know, it, it would be... It looks like aged sleepers, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it does. It's sort of a, a, a greyish colour, sort of a charcoal colour. Uh, it's got a slight grainy sort of um, texture to it. And uh, so it's a very smart product and it'll last forever. So now, I, and I've heard that you can cut it like timber. Yeah, you can. Right? You, you'd use a. I wouldn't use a wood saw, uh, but you could use a, an electric saw, you know, circular saw or something like that. You can cut it to whatever size you want and what have you, and drill it and do all those things with it. So, uh, if you're a bit of a handy person around the garden, you can make almost anything you want out of it. Uh, I don't think it would make a very good Statue of Liberty or, <laughs> you know, Eiffel Tower or something. But you know, almost anything else could be made out of it. So I'll be out there looking, uh, showing the product off and talking to people about it as well as talking about some of my interesting plants that I grow. So Beautiful. we're going to have a fun morning out there from 10 till 12. Beautiful. I'd like to say that one of the, the things that I've really been enthusiastic about in recent times is the fact that you can take your plastic bags, your biscuit wrappers, any little bits of non-recyclable plastic and put them in the bins at the front of the Coles and Woolies store. Mm. You don't have to go into Coles and Woolies. The bins are out beyond the the cash registers. Um, We now have one small bag. You know, we would not fill a a rubbish bin per month Mm. at home. We've got compost bins. uh, We've got a recycle bin. uh, We've got garden waste that goes in a separate spot if it's too big for the compost bins. Um, Everything else just goes in this soft plastic Mm. that is recycled via those two supermarkets. Mm. What have you got left to put in your bin? Chicken bones or something that you don't want to put in the compost? Oh, no, you grind those up and you put them into your compost as well. The only thing I'm struggling to find a use for, which sounds a bit naff, um, is oyster shells. Because yeah. if you throw them in the compost bin, they just mulch. come out the same way. Yeah, uh, you could use them as a well, mulch. You could hammer them. Yeah, hammer, yeah. The, hammer them down, grind them just down, just, and yeah. Well, yeah. that's what I was figuring you could do, Classy. but it does seem like an awful lot of physical exercise because they're as hard as anything to yeah. crunch them Says down. Says the gardener. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. They're the only thing I find uh, that mm. I'm struggling to find um, a, a way of they, recycling. They do make a, you can use them as a mulch. I've seen them used as a mulch on a coastal garden. Yeah, Macedon's not terribly coastal, though. They'd look a little odd. I'm sure you used to have water around you one time. Yeah, well, yes, probably hundreds of thousands or millions of years ago. But um, Can't you start covering a feature with it? Yeah, well, yeah. The issue then is I've got to build up a critical mass of them to make it (laughs) worthwhile. So I've got to eat an awful lot of oysters if I'm going to actually do anything with them. But I am thinking this through. There's got to be a way of making use of them because there's virtually nothing else that I get rid of. And I have to say the Mm. Ewood people are actually developing techniques of recycling all those unrecyclable plastics. So there will be products coming out via their well, company. Yeah, that's why they're being collected yeah, by Coles and, they, and yeah, for they're, they're making recycling. things like, mm. um, now what did Peter tell me? They're making um, surveyor pegs. 
Mm. Out of non-recyclable mm. plastic, instead of having the wooden pegs, mm. uh, and yeah. and I think he said they're making they're putting a little bit of dye in them and they're making them bright blue, so they're actually easier to find than the wooden ones are. Uh, and so you know they'll be making bollards out of them, all sorts of mm. things. So hopefully we'll be recycling everything one day instead of putting it into landfill. Yeah, it now, would be nice. Absolutely. Now, Stephen, someone's just uh, called in and asked, can you give the address of the Northcote Nursery? Uh, well, it's on Victoria Road. Yep, uh, and it's on the corner of victoria road and uh, i'm gonna forget now it's uh is it the strand it's definitely in northcote yeah it's definitely in northcote uh and i've got it written down in my van outside um i don't know uh, whether... uh 85 south crescent south crescent yep. that's right so victoria road and south crescent yep so that's where it will be. Uh, and as I said, I'll be there from 10 o'clock this morning, as long as I don't get lost getting there. And, um, yeah, we can all have a lovely chat. So do come in. So if, if somebody's actually uh, got in touch with us to find out how to find the place, that means I might have one person come out and visit me. <laughs> Absolutely. So hopefully there'll be more of you. Great. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop, and with me in the studio are Gwen and Roger Elliott and Stephen Ryan. It's time to invite listeners yes. to join us. So whether you've got a question about Abelia or Acacia or Zera or Zygopetalum, <laughs> we should have you covered. Yeah. Um, so if you've got a question, give us a call on 94190155. Stephen. All right, well, I've got a couple of plants I did bring in. These will be out with me at Northcote later this morning. Uh, and they're a bit of a mixed bag. Um, one of them is a euphorbia, but a very small euphorbia. Um, and it's actually one I imported some years ago from Beth Chateau's garden in England. Uh, it's a form of Euphorbia cyparisius, because uh, it does have cypressy-like foliage, called Fens ruby. And when it comes into leaf in the spring, because it's completely herbaceous, it disappears below the ground in the winter, its new foliage has this lovely sort of burgundy red colour to it, and you have those limey, classical limey green but very tiny flower heads. So against the burgundy foliage, the little green flower heads are quite a nice mm. contrast it's a pretty little euphorbia um it suckers so one needs to be aware that it will move around it doesn't like growing back into the shade so if you're using it on the front of a border it'll just stay on the front of a border if there's larger shrubs behind it but it does have a bit of a zest for life so one has to use it with discretion um but it's funny because gardeners whinge if they can't grow something and they whinge if they can sometimes um so i quite like it i've got it on the edge of a border at home in my garden and the driveway's along there and it's gravel and you drive up and down. So if anything has the audacity to grow out into the driveway, the car takes care of it. Mm. Um, and it just sort of wafts its way along the front of the border. And in the um, early spring when it's this sort of acidy, limey green with the burgundy foliage, it's really pretty. And we'll get to, oh, I suppose in the old measurements, about six or seven inches tall by the time it's finished growing. Um, it will go more grey-green by midsummer. And then in the autumn, before it dies down, the whole plant goes bright oranges and yellows. So unlike a lot of herbaceous perennials that don't offer much in the way of autumn colour, this actually will go pretty colours in the autumn as well. And like most euphorbias, it does very well in a well-drained, sunny sort of aspect. It's not particularly fussy about soil type. Um, if the soil's really awful, well, it'll probably just not grow quite so fast, which is possibly an advantage. Um, but uh, I think it's a charming little plant, and there's, there's a lot going for the euphorbias. And I guess I just need to make the health warning that they do have poisonous sap, so just be careful when you're handling them. I've actually had Euphorbia, uh, not Cyprusius, um, Euphorbia caracius, the big ones, uh, ended up with sap in my eye once, and that was very painful, I have mm. to say. And it took 
some hours before I hadn't uh, before it disappeared. So yeah, just be careful of euphorbia sap. It can be nasty stuff. It does look like it wants to be a border plant, doesn't it? Oh yes, yes. yes. Or mass uh, planted. Somehow. Yeah. Well, it'll mass plant itself. Yeah. So there is that advantage. You don't have to buy a lot of them. In fact, if we pick up the pot, sucking, uh, yeah. you can yeah. see that it's trying to escape out the bottom. Although this is hard for those at home to see, I'm sure. Um, but it does. In fact, when I've got it at the nursery, I tend to try and make sure I keep it up off the ground because it goes down out through the bottom of the pot and then runs around in the gravel in the yeah. in the nursery and then I've got the problem of getting it out of the, the gravel. Mm-hmm. So I tend to sit the pots up to make sure that they don't root down into the gravel. Uh, so it's one of those plants that's uh, almost foolproof about growing it. It might just be a little less of a uh, or, um, more of a problem if you decide to get rid of it. Uh, so Euphorbia, Euphorbia cypericeus, uh, C-Y-P-A-R-I-S-S-I-A-S, Fens ruby. And I think it's a charming little shrub. It's very sweet. Perennial. And I guess in a similar colour varia- of theme, I've got here a persicaria, um, which I think is a fabulous foliage plant. Does um, it taste good? Uh I've never tried it, and I know that there are persicarias that do because, of course, the uh, Vietnamese mint is a persicaria. Mm. Um, but uh, I haven't tried this one, so and, and I'm quite convinced not all persicarias taste good, so I, I may or may not try this one. Um, this one is one called Persicaria microcephala, meaning small flower head, um, red dragon. And it's a herbaceous perennial, but... You cut it back in the autumn, and then it'll immediately send up a few shoots that'll stay at ground level for the winter. So it's never completely gone. You've always got something there. Uh, its foliage is a dark ruby colour with a sort of a, a, a silvery chevron that runs through the centre of the leaf. Um, so it's a really interesting colour combination. It'll grow to about a metre tall uh, and about a metre wide uh, by the end of the season. And in the autumn, it will come out with a massive little white ball-like flower heads which look really good against the dark burgundy foliage. And then you just cut it back in the, in the late autumn, early winter when it's looking scruffy, and then the whole process starts again. Uh, it makes a fabulous pot plant. It does like water. So if you're going to grow it in the garden, make sure you plant it somewhere where it gets adequate moisture. Or if you're going to grow it in a big pot, perhaps sit it in a saucer of water so that it's always got a, a, a body of water below it that it can make use of. And it will grow like mad. You know, you, this one's just in a 15-centimetre in a pot. If you stuck that up into, a, uh, into something about 20 or 25 centimetres, it will fill the whole pot by the autumn and you'll have just this great big mound of burgundy leaves on it. Does it take much pruning to get it into that nice compact? No, no. It's, it, I mean, I quite like to allow it to do its own thing. It doesn't need to be too compact. I mean a little bit of relaxed form about it's actually quite good Um, but you can keep cutting it back through the season if you want to keep it tight or you can just let it sort of billow a bit so that it comes out over the pot Uh, and of course its little white flowers are a nice sort of swan song for the end of the season so you don't want to cut it back too often otherwise you might miss out on the autumn flowers Uh, but I think red dragon is a lovely persicaria and uh, again it has a zest for life if you put that into some muddy soil on the you know edge of a pond or something like that it would make quite large clumps Uh, don't cut it and throw it into the compost heap because all of the pieces will take root. Uh, I can vouch for that. Um, so if you want more, it's very easy to propagate. Uh, you could strike it in a glass of water, which I shouldn't be telling people about because that will discourage them from buying it from me. They'll share it amongst themselves. Uh, but it is one of the easiest plants in the world to propagate. Um, and uh, I reckon you could just take pieces off and shove them in a pot and away they'll go. 
it's a it's a very pretty little plant. Very nice. And does that fall into the uh, rare category? It's not one of these plants you see around much. It shouldn't fall into the rare category in a sense because it's so quick, so easy to propagate and so easy to grow up for a saleable plant. But you just don't see it around the trade and I don't quite know why. It may just be that the Persicaria genus is not a terribly well-known one. So, uh, But it's showy enough in foliage. You'd think mm. if you saw that on a bench in a, in a supermarket or chain store or something like that, you'd go, oh, that's pretty, I'll mm. take it home. Yeah, some nurseries might feel it's a bit too floppy in a pot. You know how yeah. nurseries think these days? Oh, yes, yes. It's yeah. got to present well in a pot, mm. a lot mm. of things. And this does have a slightly relaxed form. I do have to say it grows very fast too, so I guess it would lose its looks in a small pot fairly quickly if it didn't get cleared from stock fairly fast. Yep. So unless you're pruning it, feeding it and keeping it in order, it would be quite a big bulky thing, you know, come another month or two so i go through them and just shear them back again every so often to keep them looking neat right through the through the summer autumn um and uh i sell quite a lot of it i find people really go to it go for it because it is such a lovely color Mm, i guess i mean that it's kind of tricky in the nursery trade i would imagine just um i suppose trying to work out what what trends there might be what what Mm. you know what you should grow more of to you know that people might be um, becoming enthralled by or you know I guess it's slightly different yeah I don't sort of yourself. follow the trends in fact I yeah. tend to try and avoid them because yeah. you end up then sort of uh, trying to compete directly with people who are actually on trend mm. with things um, and of course I don't grow anything in vast quantities so you know it's all about variety for me so uh, if I grow 10 or 20 of something it's a reasonable size crop um, but uh, even that point of people expecting a particular look in a plant yeah. and when they come to a nursery, is that mm. what they're going to get? Or you know, Well, yeah, I regularly get people coming in looking for lamandras, flaxes and cordylines, uh, unfortunately. Uh, the monocot monotony that people are planting in their gardens these days. Um, uh, so, yeah, there's, there's lots of trends and things that people want to follow, but I'm actually trying to be out there to show off plants that aren't on trend in a way. Um, And, of course, the other difference between my style of nursery and most general garden centres and nurseries is the fact that I'm selling things I grow and enjoy, so I know all about the plant, and I will wax lyrical about something that doesn't look all that fantastic in a pot necessarily and convince people that they should have one. Uh, Whereas in most nurseries, you're expected to wander in, wander around, pick up something that looks good and take it to the counter. Um, And so, of course... Roger's right. I mean, if it doesn't present really well in a mm. pot, uh, unless you've got somebody who's persuasive in, in the staff, then the stuff's going to sit there. Yeah, or someone who's buying that they know what position they want to buy the plant for rather mm. than just coming in and buying yeah, what the I call random plants. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. nothing wrong with being a random plant buyer, I might add. <laughs> I try and try and encourage that sort of behaviour. Um, but, uh, yes, you're right. I mean, if people have got a specific want, uh, then they go out looking for something that will fit that bill. Um, uh, but I tend to find with customers in my nursery, if I've got a, a customer that comes in and they're looking for something specific, uh, if it's not something I would grow because it's common as or whatever... Uh, uh, I've nearly always got an alternative that I can show them and say, well, you know, what about this plant? Because, you know, you won't see this in all your neighbours' gardens, but it will do the same job you're looking for and what have you. So I tend to try and think a bit laterally. Mm. Um, mm. I think it's one of the advantages of going to places where there is a garden display too, mm. um, whether it's in a nursery that's got a few plants planted out somewhere 
or going to these open gardens that we talk about mm. because there are always some plants that I sort of regard as ugly ducklings, you mm. know, that turn out to be beautiful swans. There's a little Dampira always came into that category in my mind, Dampira terrace. It never looks anything in a six-inch mm. pot, 15-centimetre pot. But in the garden, it can be fantastic. Now, if you don't see it in a no. garden mm. somewhere or have someone like Stephen or Roger to sort of say, look, this one's really worth going, you wouldn't give it a second glance no. in a nursery. Mm. And I think the danger we've got, we need to be very aware of these days is if people do all their plant purchases from, uh, we'll call them the box stores, the big um, supermarket-type garden places, um, that can sell um, potted colour at four plants for $10 or something, without realising it, the palette of plants available to us um, will be reduced just so much. And I know when we started getting involved in introducing Australian plants into America, they were just so enthusiastic because they were sick to death of petunias. Mm, Exactly. Uh, And so we do need to support our nurseries and go and visit... Um, botanic gardens, community gardens, open gardens to have a look at what's worth growing and then, you know, look them up on Google if we can't find them in uh, the nurseries we normally go to and see who's stocking this plant. I think also there's, um, there becomes an expectation for really low prices mm. in, in plants yes. and really and so unrealistically much work, low yes. prices. Yeah, unrealistically. Mm. So much work goes into, you know, producing a plant, you know, especially if it's a more mature one. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm one for mm. higher prices for plants, I say. Yeah. Well, we're actually very cheap in this country. If you compare our prices to America and, and Europe, um, in general our prices are a fraction of what you'd pay in those areas. And the advantage of paying more, which sounds odd, but plants are grown to a quality then, not yep. grown to a price. Yep. And looking at round nurseries in England and North America, as I have done, uh, the quality and diversity of plant material in those places tends to be far superior than what our general garden centres here do because they're getting a proper price for stuff. Uh, and I had a client in yesterday who was looking at a conifer I have up there. And it was, it was a, uh, an abies. It was a, a fir and it was probably, I don't know, about a metre tall. It was probably 8 or 10 years old um, and it was $125. And they looked at it and they went, $125. And I said, well, you know, it's eight years worth of growth. If I was a plumber and charging you by the hour, things would be slightly <laughs> different. Um, and, um, you know, you're buying time, buying a plant like that. And certainly the same plant in, in England or North America would probably be double that price. Mm. So, you know, so plants really are quite cheap here. So, um, uh, and, you know, for what you get out of them, I mean, who doesn't spend $125 in the supermarket when they walk in? I mean, you know, just for a few necessities of life, you can easily spend over 100 bucks, mm. uh, and they'll last you for a few days, yeah. whereas that plant could last you for, well, mm. longer than you were around. So, you know, so I think there's great value in plants. Oh, that's right. I can remember in Japan seeing some Baronia pinata, New South Wales Baronia, probably the most beautifully grown Baronias that I've ever seen. Mm. And they had undoubtedly been clipped in typical Japanese manner quite a few times. But they are asking equivalent about eighty five dollars mm. for a twenty centimetre pot, and yeah. they, they were just you know exquisite. 
Mm. Just, you know, a lot of effort had gone into yeah. making them well, look so I'm, good. Well, I remember seeing in North America big sort of terracotta dishes just full of annuals but so beautifully grown and they were charging 90 or $100 just for a, a mm. pot of annuals mm. but they were beautifully grown plants. You'd take them home and they'd look fantastic straight away um, and then you'd throw them away at the end of the season. Yes. You know, yes. so, you know, we do have a different sort of outlook on plants in this country. We expect yeah. serious cheapness in our plants, which is sad. Really. It is. It it is sad. And I think also like going along to the um, plant sales, um, you get to speak to breeders and, you know, you can even trial things that maybe haven't been around for a while and, you know, you develop some kind of relationship. I was down at um, uh, Judy and Jason Millington's garden uh, yesterday having a look around there because uh, we're filming it for mm. Gardening Australia and um, I know that Judy has um, formed fantastic relationships with breeders around the country who are really keen to trial their plants, you know, like some of the tropical grevilleas and whatnot down in in the southern states to see how they go down here. So, I mean, you can gain a lot of knowledge from, you know, meeting breeders and um, talking to them about what they're doing and and how the plants go in in different areas. Just getting back to a comment that Stephen made about monocots. There are some lovely monocots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not disparaging <laughs> them as a group, but it's when you plant a whole garden full of them. I, I know. You know I, at the moment, we've got a white flowered plant, beautiful thing called Libertia mm-hmm. paniculata. Oh yes, lovely. And thing. and it's it in the morning when it's just beginning to lighten up, that plant just hits mm. you, you know. And so, if people have got a sh- bit of a shady spot, a bit of moisture, Libertia. Paniculata is well worth growing. That's It'll get Libertia, to Libertia, L I. Yeah, that's right. Good hmm. on you, Gwen. Um, There's Hubertia with his H I. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. early in the morning, we've got to get our teeth at the right angle. Yeah, dear. But, uh, no, it, it'll get maybe not quite a meter high, but it's um, yeah, it's just a stunning, beautiful, clear white. Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm still convinced that people th- people think uh, cordylines are still um, just you know very low growing oh, grassy yeah, yeah. shrubs because they plant them in front of windows and I love them when they're under the eaves. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's great. Uh, And I mean, people don't learn because I'm old enough to remember the pebble garden of the 1960s. And back then it was a a pampas grass, uh, an argave, uh, a cordyline and a flax uh, were the the sort of four main plants that were used in those dreadful pebble gardens. And they nearly always planted the pampas grass too close to the path so it would cut you to ribbons. And they planted the cordyline under the eaves. And at that stage, I remember nurserymen actually selling cordylines and saying they grew to two to three metres. And you only had to go to places like Ripon Lee and some of these old gardens here that have got ancient old cordyline astralises that were planted 80 years and more ago, and they're huge. <laughs> you know, so you've got to, you know, you take those things with a grain of salt sometimes when yep. people tell you that sort of stuff. Um, and certainly, yes, the, the cordyline rubbing up against your window all the time is, is quite frustrating, really, and annoying. Drive you nuts. Oh, it would. Yeah. 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 But so, I, don't, I don't think pebble gardens are a thing of the past, even. No, well, they're not, but the, the, <laughs> style, the style, in a sense, is part. Uh, thing of the past because you've got to remember that it also had it not only had the eye aching white gravel uh, but it had the artistically placed red scoria rocks uh, and it had the bits of black plastic sticking up around the outsides and the best ones also had a shopping trolley and some plastic bags floating around in it you know so that i'm sure the national trust should be classifying a few of those that are left around one or oh, two yeah. of those the, those sort of blocks oh, of units there's, around there's melbourne there's plenty of those i follow this um <laughs> 
this um, person on Instagram, um, and I'm just about to swear, called uh, Shit Gardens. <laughs> and I don't know if you've seen it, but he is documenting pretty much the gardens of the West, I think. Yeah. And it's all about the pebbles and the plastic and the fake grass and the <sighs> rather strangely placed statues. And, yes, yeah, yes, it's, the, it's yes, the little peeing laugh. boys in fountains and yeah, all that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dear. Oh, well, look, it's, it's a style. Oh, that's right. And, and some people like it. Yeah, so that's yeah. fine. Yeah, it's like those people that have to put uh, old rusty wheelbarrows in the middle of the garden and plant things in them. They still look like old rusty wheelbarrows. Oh, to mother me. used to do that. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I really like that look. I'm sorry, recycled. You know, to a certain extent, I can understand the ethos behind recycling things, but if it still looks like a washing machine tub, it's still a washing machine tub. You know, I'm sorry, but you know, aesthetically, that doesn't get me going. No, that 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 is true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, each to your own, and I mean, really, I mean, even for gardeners. Gardening can be tricky sometimes. So, you know, if you're not a gardener and you've got all this space, you know, what do I do with it? I've got Mm. no idea, Mm. you know. So throw down a few pebbles. It just makes it easier. (laughs) <laughs> we should give We've the phone numbers so that people can join <laughs> us in this I think everybody is definitely still asleep. Yeah. Um, They're yes. probably only just joining us now thinking yes, the program's yes. so not long ago started. This is <laughs> the 3CR Gardening Show. Um, if you'd like to join us on air, our number is 94190155. So just give us a call. One of the trends that Stephen reminded me of when he mentioned pampas grass, as many people will know, pampas grass um, can misbehave and be quite <laughs> Certainly <rude>. can. <laughs> and years ago, um, it was quite a trend to have a foxtail tied to your car aerial. As oh, especially you if you had one of those Hoonie two-door Ford Falcons or something. Okay. <laughs> Well, then fox, like I had. <laughs> foxes must have got a little bit more difficult to obtain. And for years ago, it was a trend in California for people to tie a pampas grass plume to their car aerial. Oh, what a good way of spreading it. Exactly. (laughs) And it's such a huge weed in Southern California (sighs) now, thanks to all the pampas grass plumes that were tied to aerials. Yeah, see, if they'd stuck with foxtails. I know. know. See, you've got to be authentic. I mean, (laughs) being unauthentic doesn't work, I've I've decided. Yeah, so you've got to do the right thing or not at all. Oh, dear. And my other bit of trivia for the morning with you and your red shoes was, why did the elephant paint his toenails red? Uh, there is the answer to that. I can't. So he could hide in the strawberry patch. Uh, that's right. Yes. yes, I knew there was something weird. Something. It's a real. Sorry that's about a, that's, that, that's folks. A sad I, I thought, joke. I thought you were going to say because he wanted to look like Stephen. Yes. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. There we go. All right. Oh, what yeah. are we going to do now? Yeah. Well, I think maybe we should talk about um, something that's coming up in November. All right. Um, because I think we haven't talked about that for I don't know what at least a week. Well, that, that, that's okay. Just one thing before you do sure. because the thing happening before November and this is down at the uh, Royal Botanic Gardens Cranbourne the friends down there are running a, an afternoon and chap Gary Presland is talking about pre-European indigenous culture on the Mornington Peninsula so when when the you know we came here and uh, and invaded the place um, Port Phillip region was uh, occupied by a number of indigenous clans. There were quite a few different clans down there. And they had estates and they managed these down there. And uh, so they spoke Bunwarung and they were part of the Kulin Nation. But uh, there were different ways in which these Bunwarung actually made a living and how they connected to other members. 
of the Kulin people. And so Gary's going to talk about this, and he's an archaeologist, historian, and he's done quite a lot of work on Indigenous history, natural history, and uh, he has been... uh, President of the Field Nats Club of Victoria and things like that. So this is happening on Sunday the 16th of October. Um, there is a charge. It's uh, $20 for members, $25 for non-members, $10 for students. And if you would like further information, you know, people need to book and 8774-2483. So that's Sunday 16th of October, 2pm. So that's just, but that that'll be an interesting. Uh, it does sound talk. very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. All right. Well, I'm going to get back to the Kangaroo Paw celebration. Okay. Uh, which also is being run by the Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria at, um, and it's partly at Cranbourne and partly at the city. Is that correct? Yeah, that's made the symposium. There's a three-day symposium being held on the 24th, 25th and 26th of November. And the first day will be at Melbourne in Domain House where they're holding the Botanical Illustration um, exhibition this next week or so. And uh, so that's a science day, botanical, horticultural, zoological science to do with kangaroo paws and the family, not just kangaroo paws, because there's a fantastic genus called Conostylus. And for some reason, Conostylus, the nursery has industry hasn't caught on to just how beautiful these plants are and useful they're usually fairly low Mm -hmm. mainly have yellow flowers but uh, sometimes cream Um, and the strappy foliage yeah strappy foliage lovely bristles on many of the the leaves and so if they don't flower they look fantastic Mm -hmm. anyway Um, so that's a science day on the day two they're looking at uh, breeding marketing design cultivation and diseases and then on day three is for home gardeners and enthusiasts. So there's a, a real cross-section of subjects and a full full-day programs. There's, uh, we've been pretty fortunate in the speakers we've been able to engage for this. A chap called Stephen Hopper, um, he's, I suppose you could call him the guru of the, the, of the, Hemoderaceae family, which kangaroo paws belong to, the blood roots, and uh, Steve will be coming over, and he's he's speaking each day, and then Angus Angus Stewart's involved uh, too. He'll be speaking each day. We've got uh, chap Kingsley Dixon, who was the person responsible, one of the main people responsible for just finding out why do plants germinate with smoke, and how that happens. So. And Kingsley's talking about that. We've got uh, Brett Summerall from Sydney Botanic Gardens. He's going to be talk about talking about some of the diseases, uh, things like that. And uh, Digby Grounds is a plant breeder from Kings Park. What a uh, great name, Digby, Digby Grounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's been involved in plant breeding for quite a while. He's coming across. Jim Fogarty, a landscape designer from Melbourne. About <coughs> me, Loretta Childs. And there's a group of people going to be involved. We've got Keith Oliver, who was one of the first kangaroo paw breeders coming across. He's 82, I think. He says he'll need a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a nice bloke. But uh, he's still involved at Curtin University at 82. And uh, so, yeah, there's a whole range of things. And there's general growers uh, who'll be there. So you got a phone number, Rog? People yeah, can look, a, a phone number, you can contact Chloe. 
97253569. Now, I know Chloe's up to Grampians this weekend, but um, having a ball, but I'm sure if you want information about that, um, contact Chloe. 97253569. Or there's an alternative phone number if you can't get Chloe, um, 8774-2483. But um, beautiful. All right. Well, we should go to our first caller, Sue from Narry Warren. Good morning, Sue. I feel like giving you a prize. Oh, because I'm first. Yes. Yeah. And you're awake. You're awake. <laughs> <laughs> well, just is no Pam this morning? Is she at Whitnoble this morning? Probably. Yeah, she probably. certainly probably is. She'd be pointless having her in here today because she's not got a voice. I'm sure of it. I oh, know. I was so nervous yesterday. I had to go and clean my bird bus for the last quarter. <laughs> um, but we won. Um, um, getting back to gardening, um, I need some advice about native ground cover because the bottom of my yard, it's very wet at the moment and I've got um, oh, um, Grevillea uh, Mount Tamborina or something Mount Tamborina, is it? Yeah. The Nidgera? Yeah, mm-hmm. and they sort of, or oh, a couple of them don't look very well. So, no. um, I mean, it's not always wet down there, but it is wet at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and there is an easement along the back. So, yeah. yeah, so any ideas of natives ground cover? Yeah, look, fine. You're wanting them really flat ground covers, or can they come up a bit? Yeah, they can come up a bit. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, there's some, you know, some of the malaleucas, there's some dwarf or low-growing malaleucas, and they'll tolerate wet and dry, which is really good. And they don't worry about getting waterlogged, and oh, okay. they can dry out. There's um, malaleuca vi- violacea. Violacea. Yeah. Yep. Um, and if you ask for the low or prostrate, so-called prostrate form, and yep. be quite good. Um, Malaleuca thymifolia can be a little bit shrubby, but uh, just with a bit of trimming and that, you'll keep How them do you down. Thymifolia, T H Y M I F O L I A. And you can get a range of colours in that, uh, in the mauves, pinks, and whites. Oh, okay then. Yeah, because so. uh, if I buy specialist notes, I go over to Mount Everyone and they oh, yeah. sort okay. of. Uh, uh, you know all the all the low stuff yeah. all together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, that that'd be fine. Um, e- even some of the myoporum parvifolium selection. Well, I've had them down there, and they got a bit out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go, another gardener who whinges because they can grow something. <laughs> well, well, they're good in their place because actually, on my nature strip, I've got two uh-huh. uh, enormous gum trees that have been there forever. And and when we moved here, there was you know you couldn't mow that bit of lawn, so you know that myoporium yeah. around there looks really, really good yeah, now. Okay. And, um, yeah. Yeah, I think I've got the best uh, nature strip in my road. Good on you. Well done. An- well another low-growing one which uh, could do well for you, Sue, is Bidgey Widgey. What's that? Bidgey it's, it's called. It's um, Acanae Nove Zelandia, I think it is. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've got that in growing in... Just don't garden woods. in socks. No. Yeah, don't garden socks, but very, um, yeah, low-growing, little sort of um, ferny green leaves and um, a nice uh, cornflower blue flower. So how do you spell that? So the common name is B-I-D-G-E-E. Yeah. W-I-D-G-E-E. Bidgey-Widgey. Yep. 
Oh, okay. And it's got a proper name. Oh, I'll just look that up. Yeah. 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 yeah right. The proper name is A C A E N A. A C A E N A. Yeah. Okay, then. And that's got blue flowers. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Palish blue or sometimes reddish. It depends. You know, they're interesting things. Oh, okay. And I re- and the reason you don't garden in socks is because their seeds will stick to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got all in the other parts of my garden. I don't know where they come from. I've got self-same. Uh, forget me nots. Mm. Well, yeah. that, that's why they call forget me nots because you can't forget them. They're always there. <laughs> They're always there. <laughs> I'm glad I haven't got a dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yes. My cats bring the forget me not seeds in from everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'll uh, try uh, get over there and have a look for. Something. Yeah. Well, you know, things. Like the first one I mentioned, Malaleuca violacea. Um, it can develop a lovely form, even just with a bit of uh, judicious pruning as you go get some lovely shapes into the into the stems and branches so you know it's a lovely plant and it it's you don't see it around much these days no i know this because uh, i've got bigger shrubs down there and the metal lucas do do well yeah, yeah, and okay. and i'm very fond of uh the tea trees uh-huh. um you know because they um they look really nice especially this time of the year and yeah. some things have just curled up and died i lo- had a beautiful hake here that was uh-huh. Um, I don't know, about seven feet high and What's one half looked out and it just died. Gone brown. Yeah, yeah, I think as a very, very general rule, Sue, um, plants in the Proteaceae family, so any, the ones that you've mentioned, the Grevillea and the Hakea, they, they don't really like wet feet, whereas those in the Myrtaceae family, which Roger was talking about, they are a bit more uh, adaptable to boggy conditions. Yeah, well, I did have a... Um, Gravilla longer styler, I think, right oh, yeah. down there. But mm-hmm. that died, but I've got another one further up in my yard, and that's fine. Yeah, okay. Um, so, yep. yeah, it just depends on which area of my garden. Yeah, that's but, right. But I've only got natives on some out the front and along one, two boundaries, because um, my main plant, because I'm in a selfie group, so I've yes. got a selfie. So yeah. yeah. that's my main thing, yeah. Thanks. Okay. Good on you. Thanks for that. Okay. Thanks, Bye. Bye. Yeah, it is um, tricky, although you don't very often hear that I've got um, damp shade, mm. do you? Although these days, I mean, of course, with all the rain that we've had, I think we've had 30 mil above average already for yeah. spring. So um, that's kind and of And there's more on the way bad. by the sounds yeah, of it. Yeah, there's trees mm. coming mm. down all over the place. Yeah, um, yeah there's eucalypts coming down oh, around our area everywhere. Center. They're yeah. just collapsing. Yeah. Not, not enjoying that boggy soil. Mm. It's a bit frightening, but anyhow, um, it's all part of the natural cycles. You know, you get the wet year and then you get the dry year. And, you know, and in fact, it was interesting when we went through that really long drought period, you know, the sort of 12, 14 years or whatever Mm. it was, seemed to go on forever. Um, Of course, people got used to planting for drought. And I think more people lost plants the next year when we had the wet summer uh, than they lost right through the drought cycle because they were planting for dry. So they put things down in holes and they'd sort of channel water towards their plants and do all the things that you should need to do for a dry year. But I could have made money if I charged everybody a dollar for every time I said it drowned. Uh, it was amazing how much plant material was lost uh, in that year afterwards. Yeah. And, yeah, so you've got to sort of keep in mind that we do get both extremes and uh, and you've got to try and live with both. But having said all of that, if you lose something out of the garden, it does give you a gap. Mm, that's right. <laughs> and gaps are good things. I like gaps. It always mm. gives me something then to start thinking about what could I put in its place, you know, try something different. So always take a, a positive spin on things like that because otherwise you get a little 
depressed if things are dying and you you take it to heart and personally. Yeah, and I, I think one of the problems too, Stephen, was with that long drought, quite a few of the roots died on mm. some of the plants mm. and then they got waterlogged and there wasn't enough roots there. To Little really, feeder roots. Yeah, feeder yeah. roots to uh, really take up the water too. So I know just when you down Gippsland Way, you looked in some of the areas where all of a sudden they were inundated and they just did not cope mm. well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, speaking of things dying, I've got uh, two finger limes, or should I say I had two finger <laughs> limes, outside the glass house, each in their own separate big pot, you know, yeah. a metre apart. One has just turned up its toes and died. Yeah. I've got, no, it's almost like it's been sprayed with Roundup or something like that. It's just, it just died. Yeah. I've got no idea. I checked the graft union. Do you have somebody fine. in your life that if you can't say why it happened, you get pointed out that you're supposed to be the expert and you should know? <laughs> I should know. I yeah. know I should know. Yeah. But I, I went over it with a fine-tooth comb. I found one tiny slug, which definitely Wouldn't wasn't the slugs. culprit. Yeah. But um, I've got no idea. Sometimes they just die. <laughs> I know, but and I'm going to have to dig it up now and see, you know. I did have a bit of a scuffle around in the soil to see if mm. maybe there were... Um, um, you know, curl grubs or something nibbling away at the roots, but yeah, couldn't find anything. So mm. who yeah, knows? Well, yeah, sometimes there's sort of life's little mysteries. Very depressing. Mm. All right, we're going to go to Carol in East Bentley. Good morning, Carol. Good morning. I um, wanted to ask you about. Uh, I remember last year you talking about a plant that deters mozzies. I've got them. <laughs> They're eating me alive. Yeah, I think there's quite a few mozzies around now. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I don't mozzies. know, there's some different plants. There was a plant, uh, a native plant, promoted for that purpose. How uh, efficient are these I, things if yes. you're not releasing the volatile oils? This is the thing that I don't quite get. If the plant is just growing in yeah. the garden, mm. you're not getting the scent from yes. the plant, which is supposed to be what is the repellent yeah. thing mm. of it. Mm-hmm. So unless you're rolling yourself in your mozzie buster, <laughs> leptospermum or whatever mm. it is. Mozzie blocker. Yeah, mm. I don't quite understand how they can work personally. Oh. No, no I, I agree totally with you, but there uh, was um, yeah, one of the Malaluca alternifolia, I think, was one of the things at one stage. Yeah, so you need to rub yourself in it. Mm. Well, the other thing is in the um, old herbal books and everything, you get some herbs that you eat and everything, and there was another group of plants called strewing herbs, mm. and they were plants which you, when you had a, a rammed earth floor or something, you put the, the foliage on the floor and you walked on it regularly, mm. uh, and that gave off the, the oils that... Uh, kept away all sorts of dragons and mozzies and things. Yeah, and, um, and apparently helped with the rather unhygienic smell that the house obviously had well, as well. That's, that's possibly <laughs> true, yes. Yeah. So, probably citronella if I just sprayed that around. Yeah, that's probably. probably as good a way of dealing with it as any. Um, another plant that I have used to some success is eau de cologne mint. Uh, yeah. and, but I do pick it and I rub it on myself uh, and that helps. I think uh, any of the really... Um, smelly herbs, you know, even like the cat mint and mm. the rosemary and lavender mm. and all of those will, you know, potentially yeah. help to some It's degree. going to mask whatever perfume you're wearing, though. <laughs> oh, right. Look, I, I don't know about herbs. It's west-facing. Uh-huh. Well, rosemary and lavender would be fine mm. for west-facing. Mm. Absolutely, mm. yeah. Yeah. And okay. if you're going to grow eau de cologne mint, you need to put it in a pot anyway so it doesn't take off across the garden. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but again, it's not going to deter things unless you're rubbing the plant on you and releasing the volatile oils. Do you have water in the garden, Carol? 
No, um, oh, it's very soggy. It is very soggy, but no, there's no pools of water. We got a lot of rain, and when you were talking about plants turning up their feet, I just moved to Viburnum. I've had it there for about two or three years, and I don't think it was getting enough sun. Mm. And uh, I thought the same as you did. Um, uh, oh, I can't think of your name. Isn't that awful? The Stephen, Roger and Stephen. Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen, I, I thought... Oh, yeah, I've got one of those move. difficult names. I'm sorry. Yeah. I thought, I'll have to move that down plant, and then... Afterwards, I thought, oh, good, I've got another spot. Yes, a gap. I just love gaps. I think they're the most wonderful things because it it gets my whole brain moving and I start thinking, what can I grow in there? What can I grow in there? Uh, The only problem I ever have is that I think the more you know about plants, the more you can be paralysed by choice. Um, I've been trying to think of a tree to plant in the local cemetery, believe it or not, for about the last three years uh, over the sites that I own and that my mum and dad are in because we selected a site in the cemetery that had a big old eucalypt over the top of it and then they promptly cut the eucalypt down. And so I was given permission by the cemetery trust uh, secretary to plant a tree in the area where our family plots are and... I then just thought, what do I select? You know, there were thousands of possibilities. And I wanted to put something in that's obviously a little rare. I'd like to have something that's a bit unusual. Uh, Maybe in 100 years' time it'll be so unusual it'll go on the National Tree Register and they won't be allowed to cut it down. And I have spent the last three years completely paralysed because I keep thinking of, oh, that would work, and oh, no, no, but what about that? You know, and and it's awful. (laughs) I'm really struggling with this whole thing. And I've actually let my run a little bit late to do anything about it this winter because I was going to plant this year uh, and unfortunately I just didn't get round to it so and now I'm going away next week so I won't be back till November so it's all too late this year so I'm going to have to think about it for next winter. So you probably oh, need somebody else to do the yeah, thinking maybe for you. Oh, yeah, but then I might <laughs> but then I might not like what they select. I know you'd be very critical yeah, I could tell. Yeah, I would be. No, I th- I think I will I, uh, it sounds funny but I think I'll probably end up deciding on an unusual oak. Mm-hmm. because there's already oaks all through that area of Macedon. It would fit in. Yeah, you know they do well. They do well. They'll cope with the clay soils and things mm-hmm. in the cemetery. Uh, they're pretty trees in the autumn. Uh, they're fire retardant. They do all the sort of things I could think of. They give us a bit of sunlight in the winter, which is very important over your gravesite, I've decided. <laughs> um, and so Warm it'll probably be bones. an oak, but now I, now there's only 300 of those to select from. You know, so. mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I don't think we've solved Carol's problem. No, no, no. no I, I don't think it's solvable actually. Oh, no, I don't think so either. Oh, well, thanks very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Talking about cemeteries, I didn't bring it in, but I think I saw in yesterday's age that um, my mum mum from Castlemaine is... Oh, it's it's up at Castlemaine. There's a talk being given by uh, Kevin Walsh, who's um, Melbourne Cemeteries Trust coordinator these days. So if you're interested... But I forget what he's talking about. Well, it's probably about the cemeteries. Uh, he's yeah. done that talk Plants for and our cemeteries. Yeah, he did the talk for the Mount Macedon Horticultural Society. It was fascinating. Mm. Um, the plants that people sneak in and plant on their on their mm. families' plots that then become an absolute nightmare, um, and the appropriate plants and and of course the indigenous native plants that often show up in cemeteries mm, and in some cases quite rare plants yeah. that they've mm. then got to protect um, and. 
I'll probably give it away if people go to the thing, but he said the most inappropriate plant he's ever found growing on any, in any cemetery plot was Dracunculus vulgaris because oh. it smells of flesh, yes, rotting yes. flesh when it's in flower, and he couldn't quite work out why anybody would think to plant Dracunculus vulgaris into a cemetery. No, they've probably just got a different thought to yeah. other people. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not sure what cheek, that thought cheeky is. Cheeky sense of humour. Yeah, well, maybe it is a cheeky mm. sense of humour. I don't know, but, um, yes, palm trees were one of the big problems because they push over over, yeah, over headstones they, and yeah, all yeah, sorts of things, right. those big so Canary Island. Are you allowed to plant? In a Strictly tree? speaking, you've got to get permission in most cemeteries to plant anything uh, on grave sites. Most people ignore it uh, and plant what they feel like, so that's where the big problem comes up. And, of course, different cemetery trusts have uh, different attitudes mm. to things and how they deal with them and stuff. But it, certainly if you were thinking of planting anything into a cemetery uh, to commemorate a, a loved one, I would certainly talk to the people at the cemetery trust first and make sure you're doing the right thing yep. because you, you, you'll create monsters for somebody else if you're not careful. Having said that, some of the cemeteries in Australia have got some of the greatest collections of plants. Oh, yeah. I know Roger got an email um, the other day from Steve Hopper from Western Australia oh, who's yeah. coming yeah. over to the Kangaroo yeah. Paw Festival and he was telling uh, Roger about a recent visit he's done on, or a survey they're doing at a cemetery which we have visited on more than one occasion, oh, several occasions mm-hmm. in Western Australia, called Gin Gin Cemetery. It has got the most fantastic collection of kangaroo paws of the species, one of the species in Western Australia, the floral emblem species, which is in a whole range of colours that oh, have developed fantastic. naturally. And, you know, land gets developed for wheat farming and everything in the area. But Jinjin Cemetery has got, you know, an extra few acres held aside for future uses. Mm. And it's just covered in the most well, fantastic yeah. range not, of Not as much as it used to be. Because this know. is their, they do survey every 10 years. Oh, so it's and this is their fifth, is their fifth survey. Because when Steve did his PhD, he did his work in the Jinjin Cemetery. So, And, uh, yeah, it is depleting. And things like cat's paws, little Anagazanthus mm. humulus, is nowhere near as prevalent as used to be, and even the same with uh, Anagazanthus manglesio. Yeah, um, so, yeah, mm. yeah. So that they have a management plan, but maybe that management plan's not working properly. Is that because people are removing them, or they're just dying? no? It, it's just um, well, it's one of those things. I, I'm not too sure whether they burn it very often. There things like. With the Anagazanthus manglesii, the floral emblem, that really does need to be burnt, you know, need regular burning. And uh, so that So just a few cremated people not a won't help. Crematorium, I was both on the same. Uh, oh, uh, now, you've got to laugh about death, I mean, really. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, no, you're right about cemeteries and, and, and rare plants. Occurring. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. There's one in western Melbourne somewhere that most of the cemetery now can't be used because of some very small native plant that is okay. growing in that cemetery area and it's not allowed to be dug up. And I can't remember what the plant was or exactly where the cemetery is, but they've only got sort of uh, grave sites almost around the perimeter and the whole centre part of the okay. cemetery that could have been, you know, hundreds and hundreds of plots can't be dug up because of this native plant, and I can't remember what it is. Go Again, along to another Castlemaine. Yeah, it, another Kevin thing. Walsh Kevin, yeah, tell you. Kevin a, used to come in regularly, yeah, of course, yeah. when he was closer. But and he's been a resident of Castlemaine and done Bendigo Radio and mm. everything. So look up yesterday's age, and you'll see when he's talking. I'm yeah. sorry I didn't bring it in. 
You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is AB and with me in the studio are Gwen and Roger Elliott and Stephen Ryan. If you've got a gardening question, give us a call on 94190155. And I should just um, give a quick community announcement because we had our radiothon a little while ago and we didn't quite reach the target that we wanted. Damn, so damn, we, damn. I think, I think they fell, 3CR fell about $40,000 short. So oh, we are still um, calling for donations. So if you feel like just um, giving an extra $10 donation, I'm sure um, we'd be most appreciative. You could just ring up during the week and, and speak to... Um, one of the guys or girls that are on the phone, and, uh, yeah, that would be most mm. appreciated. We've still got a bit of product out there too. Absolutely, yeah. So you could come yeah. in and buy some product. Yes, lots of snail killer. Yeah. Yes, snails of Australia beware. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, Roger, you, um, when we were talking about the mozzie plants, you um, Smelly plants. threw a little branch <laughs> at um, mm. Stephen, Gwen and myself. Yes. Did you want to mention what that is? Yeah, well, look, it's, at our place at the moment it's mint bush time. And uh, lots of places actually. Yeah, when that's right. When, when, when you drive around, it's in blue and, and um, mint bushes in purple. Um, they're, they're, they're quite spectacular, <coughs> spectacular. And I think it's because of the extra rain that we've had. Mm. It's really, you know, given these a, a push along. And there's quite a, quite a range. The one I'm just holding up now is Prostanthera incisor, and that's the one we threw around. That Got a wonderful sense of that, foliage, that, and it's a great plant just to have on the edge of a path. Yeah, to brush past. Just brush past. And so, it, you know, the flowers themselves, they look a different colour in here, but they're a, a mauve, mauve flower. Smallish flowers compared to some of the mint bushes, mm. but it just gets massed. And uh, actually the bit that I took off a plant at our place last year, because it grew quite quickly, it blew right over. <laughs> and so I just pruned it all back and it's fine. Yeah, that comes back. Yes, they've got a few roots still attached. He's a vicious pruner. Yeah. (laughs) Well, sometimes it's better to be a vicious one than not to prune at all. Absolutely. Especially for shrubs like mint bush because they can get rangy. That's right. They can get rangy, Stephen. And uh, if you do prune them, they're not a a wonderful cut flower. You know, they'll they'll last a little while. But I I just noticed, actually, I picked these on uh, Friday. Well, they're holding up all right, Absolutely. considering it's Sunday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the flowers have really Shrimp. become shorter, uh, smaller. Ah. Just by they were just stuck in a bucket of water in the laundry. But um, yeah, but as far as smells, Pastantha in size is a really good one. It'll grow probably to about two mm. meters high, a bit bit higher. But I have seen them for those people who like to clip. They can be clipped into round balls if mm. you want to do that sort of thing, but you don't have to. But uh, after flowering, it's really good to cut them back. And I'd cut them back by at least a third, yeah. um, sometimes even more, as uh, long as you don't go back into leafless wood. Most of the mint bushes don't like that sort of treatment. Some are okay, but most of them don't. So Prostantha incisor. Mauve, you call that a mauve? Yeah, but a very good rich mauve. I was yeah. often think of mauve as being a bit, bit wishy-washy. Yeah, it's got yeah. a bit of purple in it. Yeah, so it's a really strong mauve. Yeah. Um, and even when you look sometimes there's a slight bit of pink in it if you look. You've got another rich purple one in the back of with a different leaf too, haven't you? I have. And the other one I've got here is probably the world's best seedling. You know how people, they have plants come up in their garden mm. and they think they're the best plant ever? Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is a prostatra melissa folia that came up in our garden when we were living at Heathmont. But um, 
I had a pink form of Prostantha melissifolia, and I thought, oh, it'll be interesting to see what the seedling turns out. Well, it didn't turn out pink. But it's um, commonly called the balm mint bush mm. because it does have a leaf, a bit like a balm plant maybe, but also it's quite strongly aromatic. Some people find it quite overpowering, the, the perfume. Ooh, it's the very foliage. strong, isn't it? Yeah. We were uh, told when we had young children and one of them used to get car sick, yeah. you, you'd get a plant of... A, a, branch of that and put it in the car well it would it would just almost mask the vomit yeah. <laughs> well yeah, you're right Stephen. And think uh, something else yeah but it's um another quick uh, quick growing and most prostanthas are quick growing this is why you need to prune them and probably don't expect to have them for 15 20 years they're shortish lived but then if yeah. people can go out buy a punnet of petunias or a punnet yeah. of tomato seedlings and they know they're only going to get a season out of it if you get 10 years mm. of value yeah. out of that plant yeah. Yeah. i think that's good and so these flowers are larger than the press in size so they're about a bit over a centimetre across. But identical in colour. Yeah, pretty, pretty well. Lots, uh, lots yeah. of flowers. And we've, we've got them growing together, actually, along our very narrow sideway uh, in what is pretty dreadful soil, and, and they, they do fine. But then you can get different colours. You can get into the pinks. Mm. And prostanthera. I think we're going to have to vacuum the floor. I, th- I think, I think, <laughs> I think we might. Petals and things going everywhere. Yeah. This is a, a, a low selection of prostanthera rotundifolia, pink flowered form, and uh, it it it's just been gorgeous for the last probably month, I suppose. And it, it's starting to get. There's a few still bud, you know, a few buds still to come out, but most of them are gone. But it's just massed, and um, it's a plant probably about a metre high, metre or so across. And it's about three years old. Uh, and just to give it a light prune, once again, after flowering, it is quite good. But Prostanthera rotundifolia is probably one of the more reliable species. Comes in a range of colours, uh, pinks through to purples. I don't know about white, but anyway. Um, and different leaf sizes. There is a really good selection, sometimes sold as Ghost Cave or maybe Mount Zero from the Grampians has a much larger, fleshier, thicker leaf and it'll, it'll go maybe three metres high. And that, that's proved pretty reliable, whereas you know, some of the mint bushes, people do have problems with longevity, but rotundifolia, also the rotundifolia leaf uh, is used in cooking now mm. and you can buy it dried even. You know. so, if you uh, had your own plant in the garden, you wouldn't need to, would you? That's right, that's right. They're evergreen. You don't even need to dry them because they'd be there all year round. Yeah, it's a bit like bay leaves. Why do people ever dry bay leaves? Yeah, I don't quite get that. No, no, you know, you normally have more bay leaves than you'll ever be able to use in your life if you've got a bay tree, and it tastes so much better fresh. Don't have to walk out to the garden. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, yes, yes. We'll lose our legs eventually where we're going. But with these ones that Rogers just mentioned, if you're driving around anywhere in Melbourne at the moment, and you see a wow, what the heck's that plant covered in purple? Um, or pink with the rotundifolium, the chances are it's a mint bush because at the moment they are looking mm. absolutely stunning. They've got absolute wow flower, wow factor, and the, the flowers are so profuse that you really can't see the green foliage. Mm. So, and pro- Yeah, and lo- probably the one of the main ones you'll see around in gardens is Prostanthera ovalifolium. Mm. And there are some various selections of that. There's some very compact forms that have been, you know, nurseries have selected over the years. And um, But, yeah, 
Ovalifolia grows probably about three metres high. And not related at all, but if it's a bright blue, a rich blue in flower, um, it's the Californian Ceanothus. Yeah, they're all coming out at the moment. Stunning at the Mm. moment. Yeah, they are. Um, We saw one yesterday that was up to the second floor of of a a house, you know. um, So blue, usually Ceanothus, and interestingly enough, the one that we sell here so much in general nurseries is one called Blue Pacific, which a friend of ours was doing a revision of Ceanothus in California, and they didn't know Blue Pacific. I think it's a name there. we made up out here. Oh, it is. That's yes, right. yeah, yeah. I don't think it's actually its proper name at no, all. No, I think it might be one called Rowanii or something like that. Mm. But anyway, yeah. But anyway, Blue, the Ceanothus yeah. from California, totally different family. Uh, the purples at the moment, native mint bushes. Yeah. Well, this is a, a native mint bush and the flowers <laughs> look... nothing com- like purple. <laughs> no. Flowers look completely different. And, and it looks more like an airy moth. Very good. Very good, yeah. Stephen. Ah. Um, Everyone's frowning in here. Yeah. A, B and Stephen. But it is, an, it is a prostanthera and there are two distinct sections. So is it uh, Eremophiformis or something? No, no. <laughs> it's called prostanthera calicina because of the calyx. Ah. But it, it's from South Australia. It grows on York Peninsula... No, sorry, Air Peninsula. Um, and you can, this one has a dusky red, I suppose you'd call it, flower. Um, they're bird pollinated, whereas mm. the others are insect pollinated. And um, this one you'll just see swarms growing on the, the peninsula out there. And you can get uh, cream, apricot, pink, Goodness. orange. And red all growing together. It's just, yeah. a, you know, fantastic. And it's a, a plant that grows probably around about oh, 60 centimetres or may, may get a bit taller. So quite a small plant. Yeah, fact. small and very compact. Um, I, I planted one at home. It's one of those plants. I thought, oh, look, you know, we used to propagate it years ago in the nursery. And, uh, and I thought, oh, look, I'll plant it out and just see how it goes. And it's gone much better than I ever thought it would go. But it's, it flowers for a long time, whereas some the others have this mass of flowering. So this is never going to have that sort of impact no, in a sense, but it will a, go over for a long period. It goes over for a long period, and uh, the birds just, well, at this stage, they just stand on the ground and go around <laughs> having, having a feast. Um, so there's a few different ones in this group. There's one called Prostantha aspalathoides. If you go up to the little desert this time of year, you'll see... Red ones there and maybe cream and also apricotty coloured ones up in the little desert. Um, so you've got this more or less a tubular type flower on it. And there's some others. There's some with lovely green flower, green and blue flowers. Ooh, that it. sounds yeah. fantastic. They don't stand out, but once you, you have a look and you think, gee, they're, they're fantastic when you have a close look. So have a, you know, if you're, you're travelling around, um, some of the... I suppose specialist nurseries, you're likely to pick these up, but Prostanthera, Calycina, C-A-L-Y-C-I-N-A, and then there's Aspalathoides, A-S-P-A-L-A-T-H-O-I-D-E-S, and they do have quite aromatic foliage too. Um, so they give themselves away as a, as a mint bush anyway. Yes, yeah, that's right. And uh, so there's... Um, 
I have to say, I'm struggling to pick it up after having yeah, smelled the I, other I, ones. I, I think you've got so much oil on your, your yeah, finger. Yeah, yeah, I, I just smell of mint bush now. Yeah, yeah that, well, that's right. I guess if you if you want to grow eremophilus, but you can't, you could uh, grow yeah, that. You could, yeah, you could, could, could try that. definitely yeah. looks like an eremophilus. Yeah, yeah, I was expecting you to say eremophilus yeah. something or another. Yeah, well, it, some of those do grow with eremophilus, so undoubtedly they've worked it out although we think they've worked it out anyway, um, that uh, we've got pollinators here. We'll, we'll grow here because they're coming to the eremophilus. They'll come to us too. And what's that last one that you've got? It's, oh. It to isn't, me, it isn't an eremophila and it uh, isn't a mint bush. <laughs> to me, it's a lovely combination with those colours. Oh, yes, uh, yellow and purple, always good. Yeah, and it's called acacia. It's a wattle. Acacia argyrophila which means silver leaves, A-R-G-Y-R-O-P-H-Y-L-L-A. And it certainly lives up to its name. Yeah, and it's um, not seeing much of the new growth there. You can just see, but they're covered in yellow hairs. The new growth is covered in yellow hairs. So before the flowers come, when they have this flush of growth, you've got this a bit of a mixture of of yellow and silver, and it's, it's quite a bit plant. Usually Argyrophila, it comes from South Australia. It's extinct in Victoria. It used to be in Western Victoria. It's no longer there. But it grows up in the southern Flinders Ranges, the Lofty Ranges, and across to the York Peninsula. Um, It'll grow probably three metres, four metres. So if you like lovely silvery foliage, the flowers are bright yellow. The ball flowers, they're not huge bit over half a centimetre in size, but lots of them. And um, this is a, a fairly compact selection, which is not in the nursery trade. One day it will be, I think, maybe, if they can overcome getting regular, you know, cutting production. And it doesn't come true from seed. So. Ah. It looks like it would be a, a gorgeous uh, plant just for the foliage anyway. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You're right, AB. Really and um, very, very dense. Mm-hmm. And you can prune it. Too. Fantastic. So, yeah. So acacia argyrophila, you'll maybe be able to find tall ones, and and they're a, gr- a good plant. They do like good drainage, lots of sunshine. Yeah. With the prostanthras that you brought in, um, mm. especially the, the purple and pink mm. flowering ones, uh, how long do they flower for? Uh, if you get say six weeks, I think yeah. you've done pretty well. Yeah. yeah well, it's not bad though. Oh, yeah. for, for that massed flowering, when yeah. everything tends to flower at once, it, you know, it's a bit like your your fruit trees, you know. Mm. Yeah. When they well, they're, but they're pretty for a week to ten days as a rule. Yeah. <laughs> and then so, they're gone. Yeah, the wind comes in. And yeah. They're yeah. Gone. yeah. I call them barometer right. plants. As soon as they come into flower, the wind picks up. Yeah. 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 All right. We should go to Jill from the Herb Society. Good morning, Jill. Hi, Karen. Um, hello, Roger. Hello, Gwen, Stephen. Um, I'm asking which wattle would be good to plant in the school garden to get wattle seeds. Because in Year 12 Foods next year, um, there's a section called Subsistence Foods, uh-huh. and Aboriginal Indigenous plants are suggested. Yeah. So I had the idea to plant quite a few. Um, okay. You got to make sure you yeah, got to make sure you get the right wattle, otherwise you're going to get cyanide, right? So that's I probably not a good idea. One that's, uh, at least one that's, that's yeah, awesome. acacia sophori, the coastal wattle. Um, yes, we're, we're down at Oakley. Yeah, so it used to be called longer acacia longifolia sub, uh, variety sophori, 
but it sometimes How falls. How do you spell Sophora? S O P H O R A E. Right. And um, for, for you know, for Victorian conditions, that would be the best one to use. And um, most of the ones that are used um, for the edible purposes are inland species, Acacia victoriae and that. But, Jill, I would never grow my own wattle and eat it. Um, I'd always buy the commercial ones because I do know that, you know, cyanide's present in many of them and there's, uh, you know, a thousand or more wattles and only a handful have got edible seeds. So... Mm-hmm. Everyone who's listening, don't go picking seed off your wattle and putting them in your coffee this morning because, um, uh, you know, it's it's like your potato um, uh, tomato family, also deadly nightshade in yeah. the same family. So, um, you know, it's something that I wouldn't recommend for people unless they do a lot of research and there are books available just on wattle seed. Yeah. So do a lot of research and then... Make sure that the plant you are planting um, is correctly labelled or the seed is from a a very reliable source because sometimes um, you get not a lot of hybrids in in the wattles but you don't want to plant anything and then start eating it if you're not really sure of its authenticity. I don't really think that our wattle is going to be productive for next year anyway. Oh, no. No, it'll no. take several years before you actually start producing wattle seed, I would think. And there's yeah. plenty of uh, bush bush tucker plants that you could mm. uh, use instead if you... Well, would. I've actually bought um, quite a few already. And I've got the um, um, ruby salt bush. Uh-huh. And now, it's such a small plant. I've got a couple of those. Do you think I should put those into pots? Is it too late this year to plant them so that they can survive the That'd summer? That'd be fine. Plant now. Yes, I'm going to plant yeah, them on plant Tuesday now. after school. Yeah, yeah. No, get get um, them into the ground and they'll grow much better for you. And right. uh, as far as just getting back to the the wattle seed, there is a, a publication put out with I think it's I forget the name of it whether it's twenty acacia species with edible properties or something. But um, you know if the the library wants to get hold of that, that'd be good a good uh, publication to have for right. you. Well, I've also um, I've I've got two aspects. There's the sunny aspect that does get the westerly sun. Mm-hmm. And then there's the um, the side that gets the easterly sun. So I was thinking to plant them that side because the harshness over the summer holidays would be terrible. Yeah, and but they'd be fine for your salt bush to put yeah, them in that full full sun. In the full sun. Yeah, they 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 grow better for you there than yeah. where they're going to get protection. Well, I do have an old man salt bush, which, okay. you know, I was planning to put on that side because it's yeah. a grey leaf. Yes. And, um, you know, I've got some uh, chocolate lily and it's more really to look at the plants mm-hmm. and then we'll have to buy the edible stuff, yep. you know, for yep. the students to taste and to use in their cooking. Mm-hmm. I'm not going, you know, if say there's 15 or 20 students in the catering class we're not going to be able to to uh, feed them off our little crop. No, whatever no. That is. fair, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. My ruby salt bush had um, four little um, berries 
this year, and I had it in for a year. So yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's not it's really to see the look of the plant, and the other thing is I've I've already propagated a big pot of warrigal greens. So what aspect do you think that should be on the sunny side? Yeah, that'd be best on us. It'll grow in a shaded spot too. Yeah, and you know, I think it, actually, I might put it on the shadier spot for the or. I can divide the pot in half, you know, put half on the shadier side and then see if the other half survives the summer holidays. Yeah, yeah. No, I, could, to... I could go and take a couple of buckets of water, you know, once a week or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With the warrigal greens, you know, sometimes that might just look really good for about six or nine months and then it might uh, go down a bit, but you'll end up getting seedlings coming up probably all yeah. over the place. Well, that's what I was hoping, that that would be the mainstay. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, we've got the connection that the Burke and Wills rejected that mm-hmm. and went in for Nardu mm-hmm. and uh, uh, poisoned themselves with that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'm trying to sort of um, look at it in a way, in an academic way as well, yeah. and, a, and a practical way. Yeah. Okay. Have you thought of the uh, the midgen berries as well? You know that might be a bit more prolific for you, Jill. Say, could you say that again? The midgen berries, right? Little low growing shrub with um, gets lots of little star like white flowers and followed by little edible berries. Right. Ostromyrtus dulcis. Well, would you believe I had a budget of a hundred dollars to buy plants, so I've bought. Um, a Tasmanian lemon pepper that'll have to be on the shadier side. Mm-hmm. And, um, oh, the um, I've got two Kwandongs that I didn't buy with the school money. They're so tiny, I'm going to keep them going at home and then, you know, when they when one gets to a reasonable size, planted in the school garden. Well, good luck there. I, ho- <laughs> I, I hope it works for you because, you know, some people do have success with them down here. Other people don't. So, yeah, yeah if it's you... It's a challenge. If you look after them and, uh, and give, them a, give them a bull. So, and with the, with the, the pepper, the mountain pepper, yeah. um, you'll be able to... I don't know what size it is, but all you need is just one or two leaves off that and... Uh, that that'll really uh, put a bit of sting into whatever you're going to eat. Yeah. So well, uh, that's that's in a you know the old style six inch pot. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean the the three taller ones that I've got uh, were twelve dollars ninety five. So already that was thirty nine dollars, mm. you know, out of the budget. Yeah. And I also bought some uh, uh, organic compost you know, sort of black compost mm-hmm. and mixed with the soil at underneath the um, dreadful uh, mulch that's on the school garden everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope it, and the, the maintenance man has agreed to help me with the planting. So anyway, we hope for the best. Mm, okay. So sounds like a great subject. Uh, can I just say what the Herb Society is doing on Thursday evening? Absolutely. Uh, that's at Burnley, room MB10, main building 10. You enter through the, uh, over the steel ramp on the end of the cream brick building and we're having the annual general meeting that should take no more than half an hour for, um, from 7.30 on and then at 8 o'clock we're having our um, bring and buy and swap market, mini market, 
and I know there will be um, um, face creams and I've made black spot, uh, rose black spot mixture in, in sprayers and um, all sorts of plants and people are bringing, you know, a pot that they don't want or um, bringing cuttings. I've got rosemary cuttings that have sprouted and things like that. So that should be quite fun. And then we have herb supper afterwards. So anyone's welcome to visit and see what goes on at the Herb Society Thursday the 6th, next Thursday, at um, be there by about 20 past 7. Wonderful. Sounds like a good night. Yes, it'll be fun, really. It's more of a social thing, you know, and um, lots of people are bringing things um, that they've propagated in their own garden. I've, I've actually got an elder tree that I've propagated, so, you know, for sale. Okay. Fantastic. Thanks very much. Good on you, Jill. Thank you so much. That's fine. Bye for now. Right, if you'd like to join us, 94190155. And by now, some people have probably woken up Starting and adjusted their up. clocks yes. and realised, oh, my goodness. It's the garden program's really over. While we're on the topic of bush foods, previously, for those who were awake earlier, we mentioned that the Gardevalia Festival of Gardens in Gippsland is being launched today. It's the 10th year it's been going. But one of the places, one of the 31 gardens that's open as part of this, is Peppermint Ridge Farm. Now, this is an Australian native food garden, um, which is well worth a visit for anyone who's interested uh, in Australian native food plants. Uh, this will be open on Saturday and Sunday, the 22nd and 23rd of October. Uh, there's a $5 entry to all each of these gardens, or you can have a bargain if you want to go to five gardens uh, for $20. I'll give you a phone number for general bookings in a minute. But Peppermint Ridge Farm, if you want to contact them directly, uh, their number is 5942 eight five eight zero and for anyone with an interest in bush foods it's very interesting to go along uh they've got a cafe they've got products all sorts of things and a plant store so you might find some cheap bush food plants we're not so cheap a range of bush food plants that is not easy to get everywhere and you'd perhaps be able to buy small plants as well as big established ones but for general information um, about this whole month of gardens in the West Gippsland area, uh, Gardevalia is www.gardivalia.com.au. It seems to get bigger every year, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, there's a guidebook to it, but now the easiest thing would be to ask Mr Google all about it. But the gardens that are open extend from Tarelgan to Druin, um, and up north to as far as about the New G area, you know, near them, all these um, West Gippsland areas. So there's a lot to see. You could easily, easily spend a day and go to five of the gardens. Of the garden, yeah. They're mostly open at the weekends, but some are open during the week also, particularly for groups of half a dozen people or something like that. But it's all in the little booklet um, that's available in libraries and around the place. Um, or, you know, by just Googling that, www, 
uh, reference, you'd find out about it there. But Peppermint Ridge Farm has been involved since the very first days, 10 years ago, I would imagine. Beautiful, mm. beautiful. Stephen, we've probably got time for oh, your last plant. Yes. Don't want to waste it. No, well, let's, let's not. Um, this is a dwarf version of the ubiquitous cherry laurel. Uh, now, cherry laurels were very popular in Victorian times as hedging plants and mm. what have you, and there's lots of big old hedges of cherry laurels all around Mount Macedon, and unfortunately it does have a bit of weediness about it because the birds pick the berries and drop the seeds around the place. So you do find some free cherry laurels coming up around the mm. place, which is a bit unfortunate. But this dwarf form seems to be sterile, and it's uh, it's known as Otto Lichen, L-U-Y-K-E-N, Otto Lichen. And it grows to a shrub about a metre and a half tall and a little bit wider than it is tall. And its leaves all have a sort of an upright um, sort of formation, the way they sit on the plant. And then you get these candles of little white flowers that also stick straight up off the plant. So texturally, it's quite different to anything else I've seen. It's a, it's a really intriguing evergreen shrub. Um, Probably doesn't want to grow in the hottest, dry spots you can find, but it's reasonably tough and hardy, uh, and it would make a nice sort of middle-ranking shrub sort of in amongst larger shrubs or towards the front of a border or something like that. It could make quite an interesting dwarf hedge, although I have to say larger leafed plants as hedges always worry me because when you trim them, you cut through Mm. the leaves and they look a bit scruffy. So unless you're going to do it with the secateurs, which could be quite an ask if it's a long hedge... um, I'm not so sure about it as a hedging plant just from an aesthetic point of view. Um, but it flowers in high spring and the candles of flowers are probably about four or five inches in the uh, in the old measurement. So they're quite structurally mm. interesting. And I think it's just a very interesting semi-dwarf evergreen shrub that you just don't see around much. How so, tall did you say it got to? It gets to around about the metre, metre and a half. Uh, and that's about it. And it'll grow generally a little wider than tall and fairly dense and bushy, so it grows quite thick. But because it's got stems that tend to come up on about a 45-degree angle, then the leaves tend to come up fairly vertically, and then you get these spikes of flowers that stick straight up. Texturally, it's quite different to anything I know. Mm. But it's nice, glossy, dark green leaf. it is. Yeah, it looks like somebody's been out with the Mr. Mm. Sheen. Mm. Uh, it's, Mm. It's nice and glossy. So, And I do like plants that have that sort of glossiness to them because... They sort of exude a sort of a healthy look, mm, you know. There's something sort of really healthy about rich, glossy, bright foliage. Uh, so I think it's just a very interesting shrub that seems to be another one of these things that you don't see around all that terribly often. Um, and, you know, it could well be a nice filler shrub for semi-shade to shady spots in the garden would somewhere. Would it go in a pot? Yeah, it makes a great tub specimen. I was going to say, it would look, mm. for me, it would look really good in a couple of pots, you know, lining the stairs yeah. or entranceway yeah, somewhere. instead of the ubiquitous box. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, the box bushes trimmed into balls I've got a tiny bit tired of uh, and I'm almost as tired of um, bay trees on sticks as well so yeah so it could be an, an interesting and very varying sort of plant to use as a tub specimen as well beautiful well that was very good to end on thank you and that is all for now thank you to Vicky for womaning the phones as usual thank you to Gwen Roger and Stephen for sharing your knowledge Thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning into the 3CR Gardening Show. My name is A.B. Bishop, and we'll be here again at the same time next week when I'm sure Pam will treat us to an entire rendition of the Doggies team song. <laughs> so until if then... If she's got her voice back by then. Absolutely. It'll be old hat by then. It yeah, will, that's yeah, true. Yeah, woof, woof yeah. for now. <laughs> <laughs>